If anybody's in the room and you're praying for this city and for our neighbors and for our nation, just raise a hand and show everybody uh, what's on your heart. We can pray alongside of with you. Praying for our country, the people that we love in, in our neighborhoods and who are around us. If you're praying right now for somebody outside of this bubble of our country, in, in other countries, a missionary, or somebody uh, that you know around the world, we are connected to them. Maybe they're having the most isolated year of all time. Lift up a hand and just solidarity with them and show them that they are not alone. That you stand with them. We believe in the communion of the saints. If you're praying for somebody to receive Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior, and maybe they're not there yet, just raise a hand so that we can stand with you and say, for their sake, turn towards the Lord. Put your faith in Him for the, His glory on earth and for their ability to receive life, true life. We bring all of these things and everything that's in our heart before you, King of Kings. We thank you, Jesus, for listening to us and for caring for us and for knowing our need. And in your name we pray, Jesus. Amen. You may be seated. Good morning, everybody. <laughs> Yikes. Uh, my name is Dan Mike, and I'd like to invite you to study the Bible with me today. Um, we are always setting aside time in our gatherings to uh, listen to the scriptures, to think together, um, to find what they reveal about God's heart for us, whether it be a word of encouragement or a challenge in, in various ways to uh, direct us to live our lives in a way consistent with the gospel of Jesus Christ as it is revealed to us here as a community, we have been studying the Gospel of John, and just last week, we got your new chapter, chapter 14. So if you turn to John chapter 14, I'd like to give you the tone of this passage, and we're entering into, since chapter 13, a, um, a section of John that we often refer to as the upper room discourse, John 13 to 17. I get the tone, I'd like to remind you of a movie. Maybe you've seen it, maybe you haven't. It's called Taken. I don't know if that's a cheesy movie right now to reference or not. I don't really know where that falls culturally right now, but it just came to mind, so just go with it. If you haven't seen the movie, it's about a guy who used to be a spy, but now he's retired, and his daughter gets kidnapped. What are the odds? It's bad news for the bad guys. So, and... Even crazier, the most um, popular scene in the movie by far is where he's on the phone with his daughter when she gets kidnapped. Again, it's a crazy, uh, crazy idea. So he's on the phone with her, and she's talking about her trip to Europe and his concerns or whatever. They're going back and forth, and she says, oh, no, somebody is just entering the room, into this house. There's an intruder. And if you've seen the movie, you'll know. He does not say at this point, Excuse me, I was talking. Just wait a second till I'm done telling you about my day, and then I'll uh, let you continue on what you're saying. He also does not say, well, I knew this trip was a bad idea, and now what are we going to do? 
look, you should have listened to me in the first place, and now you're in big trouble. No, his father immediately paces with her, hears her tone, perceives her distress, and he says, listen very carefully. And every single line that comes out of his mouth at, after this point is to prepare her, to encourage her, to help her figure out what to do, to, to, to comfort her, to tell her he's going to help her, he's going to rescue her. And in, in this tone, I think is very helpful to um, take into consideration to this passage of Scripture. See, John 13, verse 1 says that Jesus knows the hour has come for him to be taken away and, and, and go to the Father. He knows he's about to be arrested. He tells them this at the end of that chapter, but immediately uh, perceives that they are distraught from this. That's 14, verse 1. Did you notice? Don't let your hearts be troubled. Believe in me. Believe also in my Father. I mean, he, he is perce perceiving this and, and know that everything he says is to give them peace, to give them direction, to guide them through this very difficult time. Wouldn't you like to know if you were yourself in a time where you felt disoriented, where you felt like you had some sort of uh, letdown or you felt like you were in trouble or overwhelmed for any reason that Jesus speaks to this. His, he speaks to his followers in a certain way when he perceives that they are distressed. I wonder if you would just let Jesus minister to you like he's ministering to his followers in this text where he is saying to them, listen to me, this is what you need to be thinking about. This is what I want you to do. This is what's true. This is how I'm gonna empower you. This is how I'm, I'm gonna get you. Don't be afraid. Trust me. I got you. With that being said, then now I would like to read for you the text today. So if you'd please stand with me. Read in John chapter 14, and I'll pick up right where uh, we left off last week here, and now verse 8. And I'll continue on to the end. Then Philip said, Lord, show us the Father. That'll be enough for us. Jesus answered, don't you know me, Philip, even after I've been among you for such a long time? If you've seen me, you've seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father? Don't you believe that I am in the Father and the Father is in me? And the words I say, I don't speak of my own authority. Rather, it is the Father living in me who's doing his work. Believe me when I say that I'm in the Father and the Father is in me, or at least believe the evidence of the works themselves. Very truly I say unto you, whoever believes me will do the works that I've been doing. They will do even greater things than these because I'm going to the Father. I will do whatever you ask in my name so the Father might be glorified in the Son. You may ask me for anything in my name and I will do it. If you love me, keep my commands, and I'll ask the Father, and he'll give you another advocate to help you, to be with you forever, the spirit of truth. The world cannot accept him, because it neither sees him nor knows him, but you know him, for he lives with you and will be in you. I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. Before long, the world will not see me anymore, but you will see me, and because I live, you also will live. On that day, you'll realize that I'm in the Father, and you're in me, and I'm in you. So whoever has my commands and keeps them is the one who loves me. For the one who loves, 
me will be loved by my father and I too will love them and show myself to them. Then the other Judas said, but why do you intend to show yourself to us and not the world? Jesus replied, anyone who loves me will obey my teaching. My father will love them. We will come to them and make our home with them. Anyone who doesn't love me will not obey my teaching. These words that you hear are not my own. They belong to the father who sent me. And all this I have spoken while still with you. But the advocate, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you all things and remind you of everything I've said to you. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. I don't give to you as the world gives. Don't let your hearts be troubled and do not be afraid. You've heard me say I'm going away and I'm coming back to you. And if you loved me, you'd be glad that I'm going to the Father for the Father is greater than I. I've told you this now before it happens so that when it does, you will believe. I will not say much more to you for the prince of the world is coming. But he has no hold on me. He comes so that the world may learn that I love the Father and do what my Father has commanded me. Arise, let us leave. Amen. Maybe I read that a little too fast. Okay, sorry. What a beautiful passage. You might have noticed this by now, but the Gospel of John is written in all dialogue. This is just the way he writes his story. Every single chapter and situation is all back and forth between Jesus and Nicodemus or the disciples or woman at the well. And all of this back and forth, uh, John is then able to develop um, a conversation, which I find just very easy and, and moving to read myself as if I'm in that conversation. And so I do try to put myself in the sandals, if you will, of these guys that he's talking to. And this is no exception. He has just told them, I am going, you cannot follow, I'm going somewhere, you cannot follow me. He can see that they're kind of starting to get panicky about it, starting with Peter. And then we have the other Judas and Philip and Thomas. We saw a little bit of Thomas last week. Jesus said, um, I'm going to do something Okay, I'm going to do something to prepare. And what I'm going to do is going to prepare a place for you in my father's house. You're going to have a, a permanent place there. You, that you're, you'll be able to live. And don't worry about how to get there. You'll know the way. And then Thomas says, asking for a friend. What if I don't know the way? Can I please maybe get a map or just we're on the same page? Where, where are we going? Um, and he says, I am the way. Nobody can get to the Father except through me. Just focus on me. Philip then gets uh, a great idea and says, okay, if you're the only way to the Father, then just show us the Father and that will be enough for us. After that, that's enough. And then I'll do whatever you want. And I think that even in some of my grasping of straws moments, you know, it would be easy to sort of sound like this and just say, you know, okay, um, I don't know how it's all going to work out, but Jesus, if you just give me a glimpse of how this is going to work out, perhaps, uh, that'll be enough for me. I'll never ask you of anything ever again. Uh, just help me out with this. That'll be enough. What would you say? If you were in a place today where you're a little 
thrown off or if you're even panicky, is there something deep down that you would throw at God and just be like, if you would just give me this, I'll, I won't complain anymore. If you would just do this for me and make sense of this, that will make me, uh, that'll be enough. Well, Jesus responds to this by really saying, Philip, I can't show you the Father any more than I've already shown him to you. It's not going to be enough for me to just give you this moment where you can hang on to this, uh, something that happened to you, this miraculous moment that, that, that you can then look for in the future and look back and it'll be, it's not going to be enough. And he, he gives them peace by giving them some direction. I find a lot of grace in this conversation with Jesus because he sees that they're concerned. He sees that they're not really asking like good questions and he gives them orders. He gives them direction. He is the shepherd that's giving them some uh, ability to take the next step forward. And when we're in a dark place, that is what we need. We need just enough to take the next step forwards. I'm going to try and articulate that as best I can as we talk today. So what he says to Philip is, I'm not going to show you something or do some revelation to you, but I'm, but I'm going to invite you into the work that I'm doing. Okay? So as we start thinking about verse 11, 12, and 13, Jesus is saying in response to Philip, come do the work that I'm doing. Now, ironically, as I've been familiar with this chapter for many years, these verses have specifically done the opposite of what the context would tell me they should do. If Jesus is trying to give peace and calm these guys down, why is it that I have read these same verses and all peace has been counseled out of my heart? At sometimes I feel like these verses have caused me to be panicky and, and like I'm doing something wrong. Or Where is that coming from? Well, I'll tell you. I might be the only person here. And so if I am just wave at me and just say, this is not applicable to you. But I've read these specific verses here and thought that they meant if I was a believer, I would be doing the same miracles that Jesus was doing. In fact, I'd be doing even greater miracles at some point. And as I was thinking this week, where did that come from? Is that part of this? Does John even use the word miracle ever? And I realized that uh, as I was looking at different translations, um, this is just something to think about. The first draft of the NIV, which you, some of you might have, and even if you ever see me digging through the Bibles here, I'm always looking for the, uh, the NIV with the stripes on the back because that's the one that's broken in and it's just easier to hold. Not because I love it, the translation, I just think it's softer. Um, <laughs> The new Bibles that we have are, are just blue on the back. Okay, that's the, from 2011 on, that's the revision of the NIV. And I only say that because every once in a while in the revision, they'll pull something out or rearrange it to make uh, more consistency or more sense. And in the, uh, the Bible that I was familiar with, the, the original NIV, in verse 11, it says this, and some of you might even be able to see this. If you don't believe what I'm saying, that I am in the Father and the Father is in me, then believe on the evidence of the miracles themselves. Very truly I say unto you, whoever believes in me will be doing the work that I do. So again, it just might be me, but I, I think maybe from that, I started to make the connection here that there's a, a miracle that I'm supposed to be doing like Jesus. 
And since then, okay, there's no word for miracle here. But if you're still in that zone, I would like to just be a friend to you and talk about that and see how maybe that would cause some, some inconsistencies in your life. And maybe some, maybe some fear at some points, like this would be a great time for Satan to say things to you, like why aren't you doing what Jesus was doing? Now, I'm not against miracles. I think, you know, Apostle Paul, doesn't he say in 1 Corinthians, some to some different grace has been given, to some to work miracles. The problem is, this verse, verse 12 says, whoever believes in me. That's a pretty broad category of uh, who this applies to. I'm a whoever. I know that miracles happen. I mean, if you put five loaves and two fish into Rosa Vanderkalk's hands, she'll do a miracle with it. Anybody's ever had her cookie, okay? But me, I mess up instant mac and cheese 50% of the time. And so whoever, am I in or am I out on this? And I'm, I'm not saying that, that miraculous things don't happen. I just wonder, is this a whoever believes kind of thing? And that can lead to some major, uh, yeah, some major problems with how you see yourself and, and, and how you see what you're supposed to be doing. So we need to ask the question, what is the work what is he saying? Uh, if, you don't, if you don't believe what I'm saying, believe in the work that I'm doing. And do the work with me. Whoever believes in me will be doing this work and even greater works. Well, he's talking about revealing the Father to Philip. He's saying, I am revealing the Father to you. This is the work that I'm doing. The only other time I can find the phrase, the work that I do, is in chapter 10. Just reinforce what I'm saying here. You might remember, this is the good shepherd one. I read this to you a few months ago. And right in the middle of chapter 10, he says, uh, remember the people of Jerusalem say, just tell us plainly, are you the Messiah or not? And he says in verse 25, I did tell you, but you wouldn't believe to me. Here's the phrase, the work that I do, it testifies to me. It bears witness to me. So maybe... My submission to you would be the, this phrase, the work that I do is in the context of testifying to the Father, the works of the lifestyle that reveal who God is in various ways. And that is actually something that whoever believes in me should be okay with doing. This is something that Christians do. This is our work to bear witness, to testify to who God is, to reveal to our neighbors who God is. This is who he is to me. This is what he's done for me. This is, this is our work. Now let me tell you, the devil would be happy, so happy to have you just fighting with him for the rest of your life about why you can't turn water into wine or how much faith it takes to walk on water instead of hearing the call here, the simple directions of saying, if you're in a place of panic or worry or concern, you're not really sure what you're supposed to be doing, take one step towards me and just do what I'm doing. Reveal to who the Father is to the world. This is your work. Put, put a filter here and just, you don't know anything else, this is what I'm doing. I am asking myself, how am I revealing the love of God to this person in my life? How am I revealing the love of God in this situation in my life? That is your work. Well, Dan, Mike, what do you mean? You'll be doing greater works than these. It's a great question. What I am thinking is... The only greater work that I can think of from Jesus' perspective here is that his ministry is different than our ministry. 
in a sense. Because everything that Jesus was doing was leading up to an event that he doesn't necessarily get to do ministry based on after that. We do. Does that make sense? So in other words, let's take forgiveness, for example. When Jesus is forgiving someone, he's promising them forgiveness because he knows where that's going to get paid for. He knows the direction that he's going. He has set his face towards Jerusalem. But when you and I offer someone forgiveness, it's not based on a promise. I'm not saying, you know, uh, you're forgiven. You're potentially forgiven someday in the future. I'm saying Our ministry is a greater work because we base it on the fact that Jesus said, it is finished. There's a finished work. I stand on a fact, something that Jesus did for this world. And that is what our ministry is based on. We preach Christ crucified. We preach resurrection. We have something that we're basing this on that he didn't necessarily have. This is the greater work. You get to testify to the most clear picture of God's heart that has ever been portrayed in history. The outstretched arms of Christ saying, Father, forgive them. The outstretched arms of Christ saying, this is how much I love you. This is our work to testify to this. And if you need that simple direction right now, take it. Philip, don't make this more complicated than it needs to be. Just join me in this work of telling everybody who God is. Because there's a world out there they do not know. There's a whole world out there that think that God is mad at them. And that Christians are mad at them too. The heart of God is for God so loved the world. This is our work. You might say, sometimes it's kind of impossible to do this work. Because you don't know what my uncle so-and-so said to me. Or you don't know what my brother-in-law did to me or what they think and do and believe and it's so frustrating all the time and I'm so bitter and I I don't know how to do this. It feels fake and and I get that. Again, more complication. And I think Jesus anticipates that and encourages his followers with every single line after this. If you're at your wit's end and you don't know how to do this, what does verse 13 say? Just ask me. What do you need? Ask me and I'll give it to you. I'll meet you there. Ask me anything. I got you. You are not in this alone. As a matter of fact, I am going to give to you an advocate, a counselor, a helper, uh, a paraclete, someone who will walk alongside of you, not just for a little bit, not forever, a permanent fixture of help in your life. I'm going to make that happen for you. He'll remind you of everything that I've said and and he'll teach you all things. He'll be with you and he'll be our connection and you'll see in that day that we are connected and the Father and I have made our home within you. If I'm alive, you're gonna be alive because I live, you live. Peace I give to you. My peace I give to you. He's continuing to give them peace. And I bring some of this up because I really want you to hear this, to read this chapter and just get the wave after wave of affirmation for followers of Jesus from, uh, your, from our leader. This is your work. I will not leave you as an orphan. I will come to you. I will be with you in this. I'll give you everything you need to do this. The only other thing I'd like to, to really bring up as kind of the chapter starts to sort of come alive here. Um, 
five times in these verses, Jesus repeats himself. And if this was me on my deathbed or, you know, you would know. If I'm repeating myself in, in the course of, you know, 15 verses or whatever, five times, I'm really trying to say something. There's always money in the banana stand. You know, if you've seen that TV show. Uh, if you love me, you'll obey my command. Did anybody notice that? He keeps saying this. Even when this is, this is kind of, just, again, let the reader understand. This is my interpretation of his response to, to not, the, not that Judas. It sounds like he didn't even hear the question. Why would you reveal yourself to us and not the world? He just repeats himself. It's like he's just saying, just, just stay where I want you. This is what I'm trying to tell you right now. Now, let me just say, this has been kind of a concerning uh, phrase to me at times. Anybody that knows me will tell you, I've never been accused of being a perfectionist. I'm not saying I don't love, I love perfectionists. That's fine. I'm just a little more open to the development of things. You know, I'm not, it's not saying I don't have a plan. It's not saying I don't have opinions. Okay, I can be organized, but just not really the way you would describe me. Um, let me just say, I'm not the type of person you want hired to be a handyman at your house. <laughs> just come to my house one time and you'll see, it's a lot of character. <laughs> it's not a flaw. Um, Scott Knoll, he hired me to, one day he called me on the phone, he said, are you here, Scott? He goes, Hey, uh, he was the manager at Starbucks. He said, we really need some help. Do you know anybody who can come help us work at Starbucks? And I'm like, make coffee? I've never thought about working at Starbucks, but you know what? I could come work at Starbucks. So I was like, just hire me. I go out and I worked there for a few months, and only one time they allowed me to make drinks. <laughs> and it's because Starbucks drink recipe is not open for interpretation. You can't just do whatever feels right. I'm like... <laughs> All that to be said, I'm not a perfectionist, and I read this phrase, and at times in my life, I have felt a little anxious. If you love me, you obey my commands. And I'm like, I don't know if I always do that, or how many, or which one, and how does that work? I think it would be a little unlikely, though, that Jesus is trying to just give wave after wave of affirmation and direction and, and correction. And then also slide in there several times something to make them feel more worried. Also, just so you know, don't mess up. Hey, if you love me, you would obey my command. And I'm just going to reiterate that while you're panicked. Devil would love for us to make this about us, okay? He would love to use this verse as a challenge to you. That's, that's what he does. He would love to take this verse and say, well, if you did love Jesus, why, why are you still struggling with that? Why, why are you doing that? If you really were the son of God, okay, prove it. <laughs> Children of God do not have anything to prove, especially about our identity. Amen. And let me just say, even if you did buy that, we know better than to think that by just doing commandment things, that that means love. There will be many who say to me, Lord, Lord, we did all this stuff, okay, but why can't we come into your kingdom? And the, I mean, think about it, even just relationally. If I just did things for you, I could still hate you and do those very same things for you. It doesn't mean 
if you do a commandment that you love Jesus, don't listen to that. Jesus is trying to affirm his disciples and give them direction. So all we need to really ask is, what is the commandment that he, and, and, and what is he talking about? Obey my teaching. What is this? Well, that's a great conversation to have. What comes to mind when we say commandments? Maybe the Ten Commandments. It's the first thing that came to mind for me. A mitzvot, you know, there are, you know how many commandments there are in the Torah, in the first five books of the Bible? Not just 10. There's 613 commandments. <laughs> and some people, they try, keep all those commands. Okay, so just try and get all the commandments in your brain at the same time and keep them. Maybe it's the Sermon on the Mount, or maybe some have said it's the uh, imperative statements in John, right? Which I think, that is kind of a nice, um, I, I, I wish I could fully go into that. But if you read a list of the, imper like the, the command type statements in John, it's actually a lot of really good things. I wish that these were the, I mean, he says, don't be afraid, <laughs> okay? Follow my command. Do, believe in me. Uh, wash one another's feet. Feed my sheep. Uh, Come to me and drink. Follow me. I mean, these are great, but still, it seems like a little unlikely that Jesus would reiterate something that vague in this moment. Um, he's got to be talking about something, I think, a little easier to understand and more specific. And so I'd like to just present to you an option, which is in this actual conversation. It's just in chapter 13. We just have to remember the chapter things weren't there originally. Okay, so look at 1334. This is the only time in the book of John where Jesus is recorded saying, this is my command. My new commandment is that you will love one another. So think of any command or whatever you want that would be a, a viable option for the command of Jesus. I think they, no matter what you do, if you start here, you will be following the command of Christ. I mean, if you begin it with love one another, I love it when, I love, really appreciate when uh, the Bible trusts us to figure out what this love looks like in each relationship that we have. That's why there isn't this super comprehensive list. There's a lot of things in the Bible that teaches us about love, but you, in the end of the day, have to ask yourself, am I doing this out of love? You have to be kind of creating that fluency of figuring out how to love each person that is in your life. But in case you were wondering for a little more clarity, he does clarify it by saying, as I have loved you, love one another as I have loved you. So you shall also love one another. And that's how the world is going to know that you're my disciples. So the love that we're to have for one another has been modeled for us. All we have to do is evaluate. Is this the same kind of love? Does this look like Christ? As I'm doing my work, revealing Christ to this world, and, and, I, and I'm following his command by just loving, does it look like Christ? What does it look like? Well, it starts with maybe a, a, an act of self-sacrifice for somebody who didn't ask you to do it. Maybe somebody who didn't even deserve for that act to, to happen for them. Maybe somebody who is never going to appreciate it. 
This is the love that he's shown us. Remember the verse, you know, love is patient. So maybe it's a, a patient kind of love. A love that is kind. A love that is, does not envy, does not boast. A love that's not dishonoring to one another, is not keeping record of wrongs or is easily angered. A love that is hopeful, that is trust, that is faithful, that is uh, persevering. A love that doesn't fail. This is the love. This is the love that we, that this is the command that we have is to, to be this for our neighbor, to be this for the people that are in your sphere of influence. Love them. It's a powerful love. It's a love that has caused the captive to go free. It's a love that has changed the universe. It is a love that has reconciled people that can never be reconciled. It is a, a love that causes resurrection to happen. These are our marching orders. Love one another. And that will be how the world knows that we're his disciples. And that will be how we are participating in the work, even the greater work that Jesus describes. So if you feel like you don't have what it takes to do that, then just bring that before the Lord today and ask him, equip me. Reaffirm the spirit that you place inside of me. Remind me, be with me in this. If you're in a place where you just need it to just be that simple right now, then let Jesus minister to you and just give you the simple instruction of to be this as we go out into the world. I'm gonna take a moment and just pray, contemplate these things. Lord Jesus, if there's anyone here that just needs to... uh, Just hear the voice of the shepherd giving them marching orders, keeping it simple. And I just pray that you give them permission to just be joining you in the work of revealing the Father and loving this world with a self-sacrificial, unconditional love. If there's anyone here just feeling like they've been making it about themselves, um, to just let that go and enjoy affirming the truth of who you are by confirming that with our, the way we forgive one another, the way we let go of debts, the way we shed our bitterness and resentment for one another. Confirming that it is finished. There's no little bit that still needs to get finished. It is finished. And we stand upon that truth. We celebrate that, Jesus. Thank you so much for providing freedom for everybody. If anyone hasn't received the love that you offer, I pray even now that you would just fall afresh on them and tell them what you would do for them, what, how much you love them, so that from that place they're able to turn and love one another.